0: listener, and welcome to the 15th episode um, on the Metacost Crypto Corners, brought to you by Navik. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short, and today we're doing a little Crypto Gaming 101 episode. I'm joined by some of our collaborators. We have Devin Emzo-Becker, uh, we have Maria, Maria Gillies, who you will know if you listen to our Roundtable episodes, and then we have Ethan Levy. Was that the good pronunciation? You got Ethan? it. Nice. Hello, I, I, I've been practicing. Um, and so, with with this crew, we are, you know, just going back to basics. Um, you know, talking to people and and seeing what 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 the conversations are on LinkedIn and and on some Slack channels. Um, there's a lot of confusion about certain terms, and the problem is, and and I do this myself. You know, once something clicks, you keep using that word just because it 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 just makes sense in your head, and then you don't acknowledge that others might not understand. So we're, you know, we're going back to basics here and we're hopefully, um, I mean, and so what's going to happen is Maria is going to take over. She's a fantastic host, um, which you will know if you listen to our roundtable episodes. And so she, from now on, is going to take the lead. She's going to ask questions and we're going to try and answer. And she is going to, you know, make sure that we don't skip over any certain like words or or jargon. And um, yeah, it's going to be good. So, you know, with this, Maria... You officially are hosting this and...
1: Um, oh, wow. Yeah, the power. What, what to do with this hour. The power. <laughs> I feel that <like> I'm <laughs> coming into your house, you know, as a guest, because it's your usual episode. Yeah. And so I should leave my shoes at the door and whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Should, should I just jump in with the first... I'm pretending to not just be knowledgeable, of course. It. I'm extremely knowledgeable. On everything Web3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So
2: as we all are, everyone understands yes. every concept. Right. I expect to be stumped at least. Just don't ask me what a ZK roll up is. I have no clue. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: um Yeah. So when I I have these conversations about Web3 uh, with with friends. No one really knows what to call it. Is, it. is Web3 the correct name, or should I be saying blockchain gaming, or should I be saying crypto gaming? Are these different, or can I just use them um, as synonyms?
0: All right, I'll, I'll, I'll take this and, and I'll give my thoughts. because there's probably not really a consensus around this, but for me, Web3 is the next iteration of the internet. And it's going to include games, but it's also going to include decentralized finance. It's going to include decentralized social media. Um, It's basically the next layer of the internet um, powered by blockchain. And so basically old internet um, did not have a native value layer, right? If I sent you an email with a picture in it, I have that picture and you have that picture. And so there's no way to enforce scarcity. So there's no native way to in- ensure value. Um, and that is solved through blockchain with web three. Um and so for me, web three is just the next iteration of the internet. And that will include games, but it will be way bigger than only games. Um and for me, crypto and blockchain gaming are, are the same and are just, you know, gaming, you know, the web the the so you have web three, you have the gaming part, and and so that for me is is then crypto or, or blockchain gaming.
2: I agree on the second part and I tend to use crypto gaming just because it's fewer characters. Like that's, that's honestly (laughs) why I make that choice is fewer characters in Twitter or, you know, in a blog post. Um, That's an interesting way to think about. I've actually never tried to define web three game web three in general. Um, Something I think about it a lot is ecosystems right? Like what would be the difference? Nico and Devin, tell me if you agree with this. Like what would be the difference between a web two game platform and a web three game platform? Well, a web two game platform would probably be owned and operated entirely by one company. So you could say like AWS is a lot of services that provide a web two platform for games and other services. And there's uh Uh, AWS, and there's Azure, and and there's Google Cloud, and they all provide different cloud services that can power your game. Um, And they're mostly adding services that you pay the central company for. Whereas um, I would look at Polygon as a real ecosystem, right? They provide the Polygon layer two solution on top of ethereum and then there are other services that people can build without polygons permission that add value to anyone using the ecosystem right So if I as a game developer want to launch a web 3 game uh, pre-sale, I might use premint.xyz. I'm not even sure who makes it. I might support use MetaMask and other wallets and not build my own wallet. I'm going to use OpenSea and not build my own marketplace. Like there are all these different services that people build for these ecosystems. And even though there's an originator of the ecosystem, they don't own it and they actively want other people to add on to it. Is that Does that resonate with you? Guys, Devin and Nico?
3: I mean, I think uh, I would like to think everything stays decentralized, but I think eventually there ends up being a certain amount of centrality that kind of like, so it's like halfway between. um, Like, I mean, even most big blockchain games right now have like a server that's not a decentralized server. That's like the game server. Um, And so you've got this kind of blend. Whereas I think, you know, things like wallets and some of the crypto elements that are maybe a little decentralized stay, but then we end up with like a little bit of you know, hosted servers, maybe some walled gardens to some extent that just interface with a wallet or some other blockchain identity. But I, I remember when HTML5 was like a new thing, and I was getting into development of that, similar kind of thing to Web3 where like everyone lumps everything under one term. Like HTML5 was, was a specific thing, but everyone was considering CSS3 and a bunch of the JavaScript stuff as part of HTML5, even though it technically wasn't. It was just kind of a... a uh, sort of like a zeitgeist, right? That we're kind of doing with Web3 as well, right? Where we're saying this is Web3 going forward, even if it's not like a specific technology. But I think obviously the blockchain stuff underpins a lot of what we're doing, whether it be to decentralized, centralized, whether there be crypto heavily involved or just crypto partially involved. I think at this point, it's like, I say blockchain gaming just because it's easier for people to know what I'm talking about. And I get what you mean, Ethan, about saying crypto to be a lot shorter. Uh, but I, I feel like when I say the word crypto, it's like a slur at this point. So I say blockchain because right. for some reason people are slightly mm, yeah. more neutral about the word blockchain. I'm trying. I'm trying to take crypto back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not <laughs> l- looking to trigger people as often as you are. So it's. I try to <laughs> <and> pick up more neutral. You, know, you
2: know, you've picked up that I tr- I troll for fun exactly. a little bit. Just a little.
0: bit? <laughs> just a little. <laughs> it's what you do for a living, Ethan. I, um, yeah. Actually, Maria, can can I just like. Take, look, I don't want to take over. Make, can I make a suggestion about when you just, dis- when I say, or when someone says a word, a crypto game, I think there's like a wide range of what that could mean. And I think it's relevant to quickly touch upon different levels of, you know, crypto games. Uh, yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah,
1: definitely. Go ahead. Th-
0: thank you. Um, look at me, like asking permission to the host. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, so okay. nice. I'm proud. Anyway, yeah. training so, wheels. Um, You'll get there, Nico. You'll be a guest <laughs> eventually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and so basically um different levels of crypto integration. Um just like on one end um you have games that you know they sell themselves as you know players don't need to understand anything about crypto in order to play our game, right? they can start free, they can play the game and at some points they will be able to at their own choice export certain assets and these could be NFTs or or tokens, like governance tokens, and we can go into what these are maybe later, um, they can export these assets onto the blockchain. And so at that point, that company would call that game a crypto game, although 99.999% of what, every, like everything around the game's actually, what, so almost everything around the game actually happens off the blockchain, and there's just like one little connection where you can actually export assets off the game onto the blockchain, and then that would name it also a crypto game. And then on the other extreme, you have fully on-chain games. And so one example of a fully on-chain game um, that I recently uh, played um, is the game by David Amor. So his company is called Playment and they made The Crypt and it's a game within the lootverse. Basically, you have a bunch of dungeons and you have loot bags. And if you're an owner of a loot bag, you can use that bag to, to raid a dungeon. And that raid is actually a transaction on the blockchain. And essentially everything that you do within the game happens on the blockchain. And so the blo- the blockchain is essentially the backend of the game. And so Ethan, before this, you, would, you were describing, uh, you know, AWS as something that hosts the backend of your game, the servers. In this game, you don't need an AWS. The only thing that you need is the blockchain. And that's where everything happens. And so calling both bl- blockchain games or crypto games is almost unfair to the hardcore on-chain games that's, you know, essentially you know everything around that game is revolving around blockchain and the tech and then on the the other hand you have this other game which just tangentially touches upon this this technology right the
2: the thing that ties them together is player ownership of assets and those assets being in the form of nfts or tokens would you agree with that that's
0: kind of um Yes and no, because I can imagine a on-chain game where there's no, uh, there's no necessarily there's no um, player ownership of anything. Um, I don't think that will happen soon, and I think it's 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 an advantage. Um, but for me, player ownership is an advantage of crypto, and there's many more. And I think I feel like these are, are less explored. The other ones are less explored, and we can again go into like everything that the like blockchain technology can do. For I think the, the term games, on-chain
3: or, or fully on-chain helps clarify, you know, regardless. Like, if if you yeah. know it's fully on-chain and you say that, like, that makes a very clear distinction. So there's no, like, ambiguity. Whereas, mm-hmm. like you said, playing blockchain or crypto game obviously doesn't really specify. And I think where we have mostly a blend these days anyways, there's not a ton of fully on-chain yeah. games. Just because that's expensive and hard to do sometimes.
1: Is, is Ethereum totally. the blockchain? <laughs>
2: Ethereum is, Ethereum is a <laughs> yeah. blockchain, go ahead, Ethan. but it is not a okay. blockchain. Ethereum is, I believe, the biggest one by users and probably transaction volume, but it's not the only. Right, it is what's called a well. Okay, guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I, I, as with many of these concepts, I could easily be it's a good wrong. test. Yeah, go. Cool. Um, Ethereum is a layer one solution. Which means like it is a foundation, it is a blockchain, and applications can be developed on top of it, and tokens and NFTs can exist on top of it. There are entire platforms that exist above it, like Polygon is a layer two solution that exists on top of Ethereum. There's Solana. Solana is its own layer one solution, which means it's a full competitor to Ethereum. These two things don't interact in any ways. They're they're separate blockchains and you could choose to be on Ethereum or on Solana, or you could start on one and then build a, a bridge where your assets can exist on the other. But I think the point just like um AWS isn't the cloud, it's one implementation of the cloud, Ethereum is a blockchain. Um, but there are many different kind of uh Uh,
1: embodiments
2: of blockchain so
1: is bitcoin another type of blockchain oh it's one of those that's not smart contract heavy though
0: Yeah, so essentially the the history is as as follows. In 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto produced a white paper called uh, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer payment system or cash, digital cash system, something like that. Anyway, and it described this concept of a blockchain and a blockchain is a network and a network is a bunch of nodes who are processing transactions, essentially. And so Bitcoin was the first blockchain. In, I think, 2014, uh, Vitalik Buterin Um, he's like a Russian Canadian genius. He's like younger than me. And he's, 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 that guy's insanely brilliant. Anyway, so he proposed, um, so he wanted to make Bitcoin programmable. That was his goal. So Bitcoin essentially is a payment system, right? I can send you some Bitcoin and you can send me some Bitcoin back. There's actually not much more that you can do with Bitcoin. And he was like, you know, we can use this technology to make like some, Super crazy, cool stuff, Uh, but he couldn't do it with Bitcoin, and so he wrote a white paper about Ethereum, and he called it the world computer. And so the idea of Ethereum is it's also a blockchain, but it's it's like a computer. So people can write software for the computer and publish it to this world computer. And so these the software that's what we call smart contracts, and these are the building blocks of everything that we see happening today. So nfts are based on smart contracts on this world computer on ethereum um and so there's a, a few design principles um that ethereum has taken that's for example uh, a blockchain like solana is is you know taking a different stance on um and essentially um yeah we're likely going towards a world where you know you have different blockchains for different use cases um and you know yeah and then we come into layers but i'll i'll i'll, I'll keep it at that and um let you ask any questions
1: or comments from Devin or Ethan. I have a follow-up question. Can I go? Cool. <laughs> so if if the blockchain is being described as uh, the server cloud service like AWS, um, do you have something that's like a game engine in, in a crypto game? Do you have an Unreal or Unity that you have to use? You do? That's pretty much already. I mean, they're already. You hard. have
2: every game engine. <clears throat> it's it's just a back. Just think of it as a back end service um, that you can call. So I know there's unreal powered blockchain games. There's uni. I'm building a uni powered blockchain game. Uh, people are using uh, different web only engines um, to do web games. I think. You, do you guys remember in the crypto raiders what their current engine is? I think they used phaser um, to begin with. Uh, phaser. And yeah, I thought energy. so. Yeah. So every, every, any game engine a a member of the audience would be using, they can
0: utilize to
2: build a blockchain game.
0: But Ethan, these game engines are used for the client side. Game client. Is that correct? Yeah. These are, these
2: are engines for the game client, um, for the visual representation uh, of, of the data.
0: Yeah. And so what I think, um, what I'm actually, so as as an investor, I, there are companies coming to me and saying, look, we're building the unreal engine of the blockchain where they provide a service that actually, you know, where you can very, like through very simple user interfaces, you know, design games, design the backend of a game on the blockchain, which for now is reserved for smart contract programmers that are, you know, super smart. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very slow. Um, but that's what a lot of teams are working on. So to to bring a similar um, you know, easy user interface um and and services to for things to be built on top of the blockchain itself, not necessarily only on the cloud. That's where side. that
3: composability stuff uh, helps. And just to be clear what composability is, since we're going back to basics, um, the idea is when you have all these smart contracts on on this, these blockchains, they all have inner communication to some extent. Like there's the ability to to talk to these functions. These pieces of code on on the blockchain, and get things back most of the time, depending on how they're they're built, right? And so there's this idea that you build these contracts, that these little chunks, these little pieces, that could be reusable, like the way you would make functions in code. And so by by doing that and by allowing these to be open and kind of trustless, permissionless, as long as you follow the protocols, it allows you to then reuse these pieces that other other people are using. And a lot of DeFi stuff is built on top of that. But game stuff is still kind of trying to figure out how doable that is. I think to some extent, like some games uh, are using some of that, but most games are still kind of building their own stuff via a little copy and paste of the standards mixed with their own thing. But this mm-hmm. idea of co- composability does mean you can have the engine entirely on chain if you're building an entirely on chain game uh if that's what you're trying to do but that that's more of a of a goal rather than most often. It,
2: it it's my uh, opinion that um as we move from a early adopter and kind of fanatic stage of crypto gaming to widening out the audience over the next couple of years and even where we are today you know i i it's I think there is some users for whom being fully on chain is like a marketing point and it attracts them to the game. And then there's a lot of people who don't care. And there are so many things, um, that there are cheap, easy to access database solutions for that. You don't need that. Like, um, if I have gold and in-game currency and you're earning gold and spending gold all the time and this amount is going up and down and I don't want you to be able to trade it with other people, um, putting it on a blockchain transaction just makes it a slower and more energy expensive transaction versus keeping it in a traditional database. So I, for my game, we're, we're opting to keep a lot in a traditional database structure because that provides the best user experience and it's best for the environment and best for the cost. Like it's all there. So um, unless you believe that you will attract um, your target audience more efficiently by being fully on chain, which for some types of experiences you will, I kind of um, it, you know, on-chain transactions have drawbacks basically. Um, So there's a lot of places where I, you know, and, and I'm not actually the developer, but as we talk, you know, I'm I'm pretty decently technical, prof- technically proficient. And there's a lot of places where we're like, okay, let's. I mean, the goal is basically to keep the right things on chain,
0: right? Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's it's. I think it's essential to understand that you don't use the blockchain just for fun, right? There's definitely a trade off there, and you have to make sure that with your design decisions, using the blockchain is actually. Worth it, uh, and so for example, for an on-chain game, which by definition is going to be a lot slower and more expensive than what you would have with Ethan's game, where a lot of stuff is actually happening on a like a traditional server. Um, if you build an on-chain game, you better make sure that you're fully using all of the advantages that blockchain potentially gives you, like composability. What what, what Devin you know mentioned. Like if you're not using composability or uh, interoperability, and we can go into that as well. Um, then it's probably not worth doing stuff on the blockchain. Uh,
1: just very, very quickly, uh, before we move on to tokens and, and, and NFTs, what does a layer two mean? D- do I need to have a layer one and a two? Well,
0: so um, so basically Ethereum is today like the main layer one, and, and, and layer two usually happens on top of Ethereum. And essentially what it means is that... Um, when you build a blockchain, there's what is called the blockchain trilemma. And the blockchain trilemma is basically a trade-off between security, decentralization, and transaction speed. And so every blockchain makes a choice and chooses to basically maximize two and make a like and, and make a trade-off with one other one. And so, for example, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is very decentralized very secure, but for that, it has to pay in transaction speed. And so that's why the Bitcoin blockchain is so slow. Similarly, Ethereum is very secure, very decentralized, but also pretty slow. And what Layer 2 is trying to do is they build another blockchain on top of the blockchain, and it works in a way where it inherits certain characteristics of that original blockchain. And so a Layer 2 on Ethereum inherits the security of the, of the Ethereum blockchain, but it gives more flexibility when it comes to transaction speeds. And so, for example, Polygon, Polygon is a layer two on top of Ethereum. It inherits security, but it can play around with transaction speeds and and, and transaction fees and processing um, speeds. And that is why Polygon is so much you know, faster than Ethereum, without necessarily being that much less secure because it. It's, so if it I hurts. want to
1: go home and do a crypto game right now, I have to select my Layer One first, and then see which one of those three is missing, and then select a Layer Two that compensates for it.
3: I think you're pretty much just getting off. I have to go with the Layer Two. That's like either the cheapest if you're if you're doing lots and lots of transactions, or more often whichever one's faster ends up being the differentiator because like if it's not fast and your players are having to wait between transactions, you're already kind of losing out. Like and it because cause some are going to be great for DeFi where it doesn't matter as much if it's fast, for example, versus like a real-time interface. I mean, obviously as as Ethan is pointing out, you separate stuff that needs to be on the blockchain from stuff that doesn't, but but generally like there's certain user experience things of a game. They're going to be pretty bad on
2: certain blockchain layer twos versus others if i'm understand you're not if i understand correctly you're not running on ethereum and polygon no you're just running oh. on poly- it's not like you say i'm running yeah. on ethereum and now let me choose my layer 2 right, oh right. i choose polygon you're just kind of choosing okay. polygon or mm-hmm. you're choosing polka dot or you're choosing wax or avalanche or
1: right
2: yeah you know it's, there's there's a lot and of options cardano whatever so um it's it's not um it's not an if then okay. statement. I
1: did say at the start that mm-hmm, I'm an expert. Basically.
0: And I think Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean these are very good yeah, questions. Exactly. Um it's, and it's, it's I, I think also something interesting there is that we'll probably see like the the blockchain or the layer two or maybe eventually layer layer three or four or five and who knows what's going to happen in this space. Like the the one you end up going for is probably going to also be decided with the type of game that you're building. Um, For example, if you have a game where your movement actually needs to get tracked on the blockchain, you're going to have a lot of, you know, a lot of transactions, like a high number of transactions, but with like little data, right? If I move from, you know, X to you know, X point X plus one, that's not a lot of data that has to be written on top of the blockchain. Um, and so there's going to be blockchains who are specifically designed for like a l- large number of transactions. And then you might have another game where it's, it might be a city management game where, you know, uh, every day you need to like submit all of the new tasks for your villagers within the city. Right. Where you're saying, okay, I, I I'm gonna dedicate two two of my new villagers to you know, farming, wood cutting, whatever, where you actually instead of having you know a lot of transactions, you have one transaction that actually changes a lot within the blockchain. And so certain other blockchains are going to be more efficient in that. And so what we'll see is we're gonna have like a wide range of blockchains um, and blockchain technologies, and they're gonna be specifically targeted at solving like certain types of, of, of problems.
1: Interesting. So I have to do my at least paper, high level game design before just making this tech decision. I, I would yeah. say both. And I, okay. I guess when like, ah. just
3: because like okay. you, the, it's yeah, gonna but, influence it, right? Like you can't you can't make your you're not gonna make your own blockchain most of the time, uh, and like unless you're already like scaling like crazy like something like Axie. So you're gonna have to like pick an, a, like a general like okay, I want to use this kind of one because it's still gonna influence your game design. Like you're still gonna have to make mm-hmm. decisions off that.
2: And I, I think there's probably also a marketing component to it too, right? Like what is the addressable audience on Avalanche versus Polygon versus Ethereum? Sometimes it's the network that will give you money yeah. to develop on them too. Yeah, that yeah. So there's there's marketing and then there's grants funding um ecosystem. Mm-hmm. It's um there's no clear winners right now and and a company mm-hmm. um Let's say you're in a position where you need a $3 million grant to keep the lights on. You may go with one company, whereas let's say you want to get one blockchain because you're able to do a biz dev deal with them. Uh, or if you're uh, totally fine on funding and you want to deliver the most eco-friendly blockchain, you may go with a different one, right? Like there's there's all sorts of strategic reasons um, to choose mm-hmm. one technology solution
0: over the other Mm -hmm. okay and i guess Uh, to add on that sorry to interrupt you maria i think your interoperability is also relevant um because you know what's interesting is you can the concept of a vampire attack for example so let's say that you're building a trading card game and you're like this what i'm building is the best trading card game out there um but I just don't have any players yet. And I need players for that game to be successful. So what you could theoretically do is, you know, look at a blockchain where another, you know, trading card game is living. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about Immutable, but that might be like a bad example. Maybe Splinter, Splinterlands is, is a better example. Is that is that Wax? Hive. Or, it's wax, or the, I, or, uh, wax. Oh yeah, you're it's right. It's like the it's only Hive, Hive game. And then I think there's a second. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Hive. Okay. So it's, it's Hive. So y- there's a, like, you could, there's a reason why, or at least a valid strategy could be to build your game onto the hive blockchain and just tell all players that have splinterlands cards you know come to my game and for each splinterland cards you have you get you have i give you one of my cards of my game and so that way you know you you already have the audience that like trading card games you give them assets to get going um and and that might be like a, a like a vampire tech or a way for for you to get like your cell high. phone First companies what do? To, <laughs>
2: Yeah, a, a vampire attack means using the publicly available data to try and steal customers away from another project. Is that right?
0: Yes. And I guess what I described is like more targeted, or like more, more narrowly scoped to vampire attack. Yeah. Right. It would yeah. be
2: something you can't do in the AWS world is say, Hey, Candy Crush players, sign into my game with your Candy Crush account, and for every dollar you've ever spent in Candy Crush, I'll give you a hundred dollars. That's something you can't do in web two private databases, but you can do in web three. We've open seen some databases. of the DeFi platforms do that is-
3: specifically to steal people over to their DEXs and things like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So
3: Scaring me a
1: little bit,
0: <laughs> it's cool. And I can't though. even picture it. <laughs> you, you just have to be the first one, Maria. So you're in a good spot, you're learning oh, exactly. I, I
1: don't know if I want to be a vampire. <laughs> I thought we all want um, to be,
0: don't we all want to be beautiful
2: and live forever
1: no. and fly? <laughs> well, the fly, there you go. That put it over the top, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm convinced now. Sold. <laughs> Um, so in uh, the round, the last uh, roundtable podcast, I started a phrase saying NFTs, and then I ended it saying tokens. Are they the same thing, or did I did I make a mistake?
3: Yeah, Devin, you, I I, I think feel like you can it, take this. It's one. kind of funny because all of them are just kind of weird abstractions to begin with, and what we call like NFTs, for example, is like an abstract term, but we have certain standards everyone uses. So but in general like the idea is a token is essentially just a number that represents something, right? So like if I have, you know, uh the f- 5 Nikos, that's just a a way of labeling a number uh, essentially that uh, is associated with my wallet address or something to say like I have 5 nico and you have 6 nico and whatever, right? It's it's just an abstraction, but there's a certain standard around it um usually referred to as like the uc 20 standards that are like just a way of uh, building smart contracts around it so everyone knows how to interact with that token. And that forms like a token standard. And so that's, we've, we've kind of built on that. And then the NFTs, we just like added some extra things to it. Like we said, okay, here's a unique ID to this so that it's quote unquote unique. It doesn't really have to be unique in any other way than anyone else's, but it's unique in the sense that it has its own ID number. Uh, and then it can have metadata, which is, It could be whatever you want. Metadata could like point to an image. It could be a bunch of data about the thing. But usually, it's expensive to store stuff on the blockchain. So it's usually more just pointing towards something else uh, where it's stored somewhere else. And and so the idea is uh, they're both just things that in theory act like they're being handed around when in reality you're just changing marking who owns it differently. It's It's like the money essentially stays in the bank. You just change whose account it belongs to. And both Tokens and NFTs kind of work on that same principle, just with extra data.
2: In terms of use case in a game, I think the main difference is whether whether you set something up as a token or an NFT is whether one is going to be different from the other. So if we're both playing um, uh, an RPG game, I farm gold, you farm gold every piece of gold is the same. You can't level gold. You can't name gold. You can't do anything to gold. So you just make gold a token because every piece of gold is interchangeable with every other piece of gold. But let's say we have gear and gear, we have swords and swords level up. So you and I both have, so if we had, let's say we had this, the sword of ultimate cleverness. If, if, I, as the game designer, didn't want didn't want the sword of ultimate cleverness to ever change. Uh, I can make it a token. I can have a token called the sword of ultimate cleverness, and I can own one, and you can own one, and they're the exact same thing. But if I want to attach a level progression to the sword of ultimate cleverness, and for that level progression to be in the public database, so my sword of ultimate cleverness can can. Uh, level up to level 20 or it can have a special property like plus five wittiness and yours has minus three curses. Like now we're using NFTs because we want one to be different from the other. Um, so that's kind of the, the high level use case of it. It's like, do you want something to be a currency or do you want it to be a trading card is kind of how I think about it.
1: So if I get the base sort of cleverness, mm-hmm. And then I put an upgrade into it; it transforms into a different
2: NFT. No, you can you can write that into the well. Th- that's I mean, you, you can could. do that. You can. There's no there's no one way to do it, but generally, w- what I was describing was um, your sort of cleverness has data written into it on chain, and therefore it got stronger um, than mine, or it got different than mine.
0: Right. But- I, I would I would push back on that, yeah. Ethan. For me, NFT, the use case for NFT is not necessarily that it could potentially change in the future. For me, so basically NFTs and other tokens, um, and, and these are fungible tokens. So NFT stands for non-fungible token, then you have fungible tokens. Essentially, for me, the difference is um, if Devin and both Devin and Maria send me two tokens each. For a fungible token, I'm going to have four tokens. And if I'm going to send one token to Ethan, I'm not going to know if that token actually originally came from Devin or from Maria. It goes together in one pot and they're all the same. And so there's no history that one token has. Uh, They're just all the same and I'll send one to Ethan if for nft so non-fungible token if devin and maria if you both send me two tokens i have four tokens and i have to pick which one i sent to ethan and i know oh this one came from devin and this other one came from maria and this one came from devin and the other one from maria and so there there's a difference between these right. and so
2: that's token that's why i was saying like to- uh, currencies versus trading cards cuz like yeah. if you think yeah, about yeah. a trading Agreed. card i might have a michael jordan rookie Tops, 90, whatever. I I don't even know the year. And Devin might have the exact same one, but it has one difference, and that difference is the serial number. Mine is serial number one. His is serial number two. Therefore, it's more valuable. That's like the most... One of the more common expressions of it Mm -hmm. is just like multiple versions of the same object with a serial number. But um, when thinking about game database primitives... Um, like the choice between whether you make something a token or a non-fungible token is whether you want exactly as Nico was saying, whether you want one to be the same as another or one to be different from another. Mm-hmm. and that difference can express itself in a lot of
0: ways. Yeah, because one use case for having non-fungible tokens could be what Ethan said where you can level up one item, right where it upgrades as an nFT. Um, and then the other another use case could just be, historical um no provenance right if if i own a you know league of legends zed skin and like i could potentially own the skin that faker used when he um did his crazy you know faker what was that play i don't know if you're league of legends esports fans i am i love that stuff anyway so you know i i I could potentially like own that specific skin right and this is another potential uh, interesting use case for that's uh, why i started with the technical Um, side just
3: because like there's so many different ways you could use it. Like the actual technical yeah. implementation <laughs> doesn't really dictate a lot about what you do. It's like, you got to yeah. give it a unique number yeah. and there's a couple other fields. And really you can extend that kind of however you want. Uh, and maybe you're not following that standard, quote unquote, anymore. Maybe it's some other standard. There are some other standards that do expand upon it. And that's the nice thing about the way everyone's kind of agreeing as we go. Very similar to like the way a lot of web protocols developed. It's where people just kind of started doing stuff and then he went, you know what, That's a good idea. I'll do that too. And then we got a standard. And it's like, you know, Ethan might be using NFTs one way, Nico using them a totally different way. But as long as they're all following the specific standard, they all know how to talk to each other. It doesn't really matter, right? Like it's how you want to use the information, just like a database, right? A database is just a bunch of tables of data. And it, like what it means mm-hmm. is up to how you make it,
0: interpret it, and and do things with it. Yeah. And so the expressions might differ but you know I I could make NFTs a certain way Ethan could make them another way and then Devin you could build a marketplace that would you know natively make you know my that might work with my, both my NFTs and Ethan NFTs because we all agree on the same standard and it's just you know small expressions that ha- actually changed within the code.
1: Right so I could have uh, an NFT that is a series with a hun- 100 that were minted for that series and if I level up my gear, well, the sword is still part of that 100. It just changes the stats, like the data in the NFT. Wow, mm-hmm. that's really cool. I saw well, the, idea of history. I think, I think the history <laughs> right.
2: is going to be interesting. Like someday there's going to be an auction. This Bay Area Yacht Club uh, ape was once owned by Jimmy Fallon, famous in mm-hmm. the in the 100%. early aughts, right? Like uh, in that becomes part of the story embedded in the mm-hmm. object that gives it perceived value, right? Does it actually matter that the human being named Jimmy Fallon once owned this database pointer to a JPEG? Like, it does if you care about it, and it doesn't if you don't care about it, right? It's,
1: yeah. you know.
2: Good way to put it. It's mm-hmm. But the the history thing is, is very interesting. And like, um, I don't know. Things are valuable when an individual decides they're valuable. That's it.
1: Yeah. And then in terms of the tokens, I hear games talking about being DAOs and then other games talking about how instead of just having cosmetic tokens, they want to have utility tokens. How would you differentiate all of these token types?
2: How long do we... we, I've got an NFL all-day pack Uh, drop at one. I can't
1: can't stick
2: around for the 18 hours.
0: (laughs) Five minutes. The the way I I describe this, Maria, is very broadly speaking, um, there are two types of tokens. And when I say tokens, that doesn't include NFTs. So NFTs are also tokens, but I don't include them here. Usually when we say tokens, we mean fungible tokens. And so there's governance tokens and there's utility tokens um and, and this is broadly speaking and, and you'll have combinations of both and so governance tokens i think the easiest way you could think about those would be like shares of a company in a way where it, they give you some kind of ownership or a kind of voting rights with like for the the community that's actually issued these types of governance tokens they give you know they give you governance right and so the more tokens you own the more you have to say. And so the more your votes weigh, I guess. Um, and so this, the way you, you could think about this is this would be the AXS um, tokens within the Axie Infinity game. Um, and then you, the utility tokens. So these are tokens that have utility within the game, um, as, as as the name would describe. So they usually have, you know, they, they're sinks, their faucets. faucets. Uh, quite often they don't have like a max supply. So governance tokens are usually supply, like have a max supply. So for example, I think for... Axie Infinity shards, is like 300 million or something. So you know there will never be more than that. Uh, for SLP, you don't know. And so there's a potential to have hyperinflation, which we've seen. Um, and so utility tokens are tokens um, like, you know, SLP as a um, in, in Axie Infinity that have utility within the game. Um, yeah, and so that's for me the, the broad difference. Although Ethan, you, you wanna add Some things? things that are really
2: interesting there, like one, a lot of governance tokens also have utility. For instance, you use AXS to breed along with SLP. So they're both utility tokens. Um, The second is, is that there is no standard for what a governance token means. Uh, Right now it is as much marketing as anything. So I own, you guys did an episode on crypto raiders the other day. And as I was listening to it, I'm like, discord messaging nico like why didn't you ask what the governance tokens are for right like in in a in a because i own raider and i've never placed a vote and i don't actually think anything's gone up for It's for vote. making
3: money isn't it and like right it's for making more money and isn't it right to, to stake well, things and get something I, in return at
2: the end of the day yeah i mean oh. there, there are a lot of um there are a lot of tokens that exist that have like well, we'll figure this part of it out and there's no there's really no standard for what governance means. So like I could start a treasure a DAO and a treasury and issue a governance token and I could make the rules of it that um the governance token is used to vote on the name of the treasury and once a month there's a uh, vote on the name of the treasury, and if you own ten percent of the governance token, you can propose a name, and then everybody can vote on it. Feels and like that the way little kids the run a only club. Governance right? What feels like the way little kids run a club? Yeah, you know exactly. I mean, like you're like, so no, <laughs> the president. I, I I think that there's more um, because a a, a a corporation and stock has a lot more legal precedent, like. There's kind of, there. there's more um, concrete details on what it means to be a shareholder in a corporation, whereas governance token is a very nebulous um, concept right now.
1: Hmm. I yeah. have a series of questions about <laughs> staking. Um, I'll, I'll ask them one by one instead of making this huge yeah. question with multiple questions within it. What is staking? Do does my little character walk up to a little bank in the game, and I say, "Can I want to put 100 tokens into this bank?"
0: Can I take this one? Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and uh, around staking. Essentially, there is actually two ways, very distinct ways in which staking works. That is different. Like important to make distinctions in. So the original staking is actually what happens within a proof of stake network. So proof of stake is supposedly what Ethereum is going to be. um, But there are other um, blockchains that are using a proof of stake method. And essentially they are um, as, so basically if you say like, I want to be a staker, you are validating transactions and you're putting some of your tokens up as a stake. And so you're validating transactions. And if you lie, if you validate a transaction that was actually not supposed to be validated, that was like a, a faulty transaction, then you run the risk of having your stake slashed, which means you lose your stake or part of your stake. So essentially, staking is literally like I take part in the you know the maintenance sort of of this network, and you know I put a stake up, and um, essentially like I put that stake up, I validate transactions and I, I'm a part of the network, and you know on every block, so because that's how most blockchain blockchain works, a new um, a new like a number of tokens are created out of nowhere. So you have that with the block like with Bitcoin, every Bitcoin block that gets created every ten minutes, I think six point twenty five new Bitcoins get created, and they go to the miners. And so in a proof of stake, you know, with Ethereum, each block there is a you know number of new Ether that gets created, and those go towards the stakers. And so that is the original definition of of staking. But that is completely unrelated to a game saying, oh, you can stake your tokens because that. hasn't gotten anything to do with what I just described. So that is game staking. And so game staking um, or like staking that you usually see about, oh, you can stake your NFTs or maybe your tokens. The way that works is it is essentially just a way to push up the price of the token or the NFT on the short term. Um, Because what happens is you have a, let's say um, for Axie Infinity, right? We just described they have 300 AXS tokens uh, 300 million AXS tokens, and a part of that My Coinbase would is be a res- lot happier if there are only 300. I own two of them. <laughs> would be pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but and so basically, uh, if you look at their tokenomics, there is a certain amount. So, a certain number of tokens of these 300 million, let's say, uh, let's say 20 million are reserved as staking rewards. And so, staking rewards is just. So basically, what they say is, okay, we have a contract, and you stake your AXS tokens in there, and then Which means we're going to promise
2: take, not to sell them first. Or well, you're actually you preventing, so you're locking you, you them lock up, them yeah, up right. from being.
0: Yeah, you're locking them up exactly. And in, and so with most staking, you can just take them out at any point in time and go sell them if you want. Um, but what basically happens is you basically get every, every minute, you get like, um, so these 20 million that were reserved as staking rewards, let's say that these staking rewards get spread out over, you know, let's say 20 months to make math easy. Every month, 100 million tokens, uh, sorry, 1 million tokens gets given out to the stakers. So essentially, if you're staking, the only thing you're doing is you're hedging yourself against the in, the natural inflation of the token. And so people that are not staking, they're actually losing out, if that makes sense, because there's actually more tokens. And so they own a smaller amount of the circulating supply. And if you're staking, you're capturing the extra inflation yourself.
2: Generally, what that'll mean is like, in crypto raiders, as an example, I... Um, went to an exchange and I said, who has Raider to trade me? I've got ETH. And I gave someone ETH and they gave me Raider back. And then I took my Raider and I put it in a vault for six months. And every day it's in that vault, uh, the Crypto Raiders team gives me a little bit of another token called Aurum as a reward. And so what they're doing is they are uh, artificially reducing the supply of Raider token, which helps maintain or prop up the price uh, by rewarding me uh, for promising not to trade it or sell it or use it. It's funny because it's the opposite of what a and, bank is
3: kind of doing when they when they hold your money for you and give you interest. They're doing it to right. use that money,
2: whereas in, in mm-hmm. a sense th- these games are doing it to lock up that money and keep it from being used for a right. while. They're doing it to artificially constrain supply and increase price um you know even as i say these things out loud these are the type of things that i wouldn't be surprised if they got regulated out of existence over time because it seems i don't think so you don't think so
0: i i i i don't see anything wrong with it especially and 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 so this is what i would recommend anyone who's thinking about doing something similar if you find a way to integrate this organically within your game i think this is something that could be positive yeah. um also i think just make sure your a,
2: tokens have in game utility <laughs> i think that's the that's the key to keeping yeah. it kosher
0: right yeah. i feel like this this might be a discussion for another podcast but um the thinking around early launches, early token distribution and like need, like having the need to prop up the token price. So like you don't discourage your community from supporting you. Um, like it's, it's basically a trade-off that you make. Like the earlier you launch a token and an NFT, the more you have to think about, damn, I need that price to be like high enough so people just don't give up and, and consider my game dead so I don't lose all my community members. Um, and I feel like staking is a solution for this. And so, you know, if you made a mistake of launching too early and, and don't have anything to show for it, I think staking might be like a viable option to keep a token price in the short term, and especially if you can gamify it in, in some way.
1: But won't people stay around if they're there for fun and not just to make but, money? I mean,
0: the thing is that there's a lot of NFTs and tokens that are launched before there is even a game, right? Yeah. So staking essentially is not that complex, right? Writing a staking contract, you could probably do in a day. Um, and so it could be like a short-term solution for propping up the price and keeping people involved and engaged. An example Hmm. of how
2: you could gamify it to make it fun, um, I think a lot of people played Fallout Shelter. And in Fallout Shelter, you send your hero out into the woods, and then at some point you press a button, and then it takes them back, and they arrive back with some gear and other stuff for you. So um, Crypto Raiders, again, to use this as an example that was just on the podcast, they introduced questing, and questing is a narrative layer on top of staking. So, by you send your hero on a quest for some period of time and they come back with some experience and some uh, Eye of Newt, right? So, they level up their herbalism and they get some Eye of Newt. And so, what you've actually done in those hours where your hero is questing is you've committed that you will not trade that hero to another person on OpenSea. And so they've gamified the staking. They're saying, you're promising for the next 12 hours or 24 hours, you're not going to sell this character. And in return, you'll get your herbalism skill leveled up and you'll get a token called Eye of Newt and you'll be able to burn that token called Eye of Newt in order to create a new token called health potions. So like that's a really good game utility version of what in another game might be um, commit your uh, NFT doggo monster in for 12 months and we'll give you ogre horns every day. You know, like that's staking or that's actually even more narrative. Um, a lot of them will just say stake your thing and you'll get 1000% APY, right? That's where it gets, you know, where I think like somebody who takes a look at it might go (laughs) defying games, just constantly merging now.
1: It sounds, it sounds like the free-to-play expeditions type mode, where you lock away something and then gets you rewards. Yeah. So can you stake both utility and governance tokens? You
0: could and stake you, can anything. You just lock up access it like, for a while. The, well, yeah, exactly. It, and it's des- the, the game designer who make this. And actually, if you have a sufficiently on-chain game, other people could actually make a staking contract for your items from Talk your game. Talk about a vampire attack. Yeah. So, exactly and, and and so like you know i don't like that game i want like i'm going to give people free money obviously like and and then because the thing is like what are you giving in return for this staking uh, that's also the question right and if you can build enough narrative around this and, and that stuff actually has some value then you can you can do a lot of cool stuff
2: so you could say um uh i'm gonna uh, uh i i'm going to target the users of pegaxi And I'm going to tell, I actually don't know technically if you could do this or not based on their setup, but you could, I as a total outsider could say, hey, put your pegaxi stones into this hole. And every day your stones are in this hole, which means you're not using them to play pegaxi. I'll give you 10 vampire blood or 10 blood vials. And you can use the blood vials in my game to open up the blood vault gotcha and get your free legendary tier vampire. NFT heroes every day. Mm -hmm. So just stop playing Pegaxi and I'll give you a bunch of stuff to play my game.
3: Part of what makes that doable is the visibility into their database in a way, right? Like that sort of thing, even if you don't have access to like code, the fact that like everything's on the blockchain for the most part, is like what allows you to do interesting things like that like you said about not being able to peer into other people's AWS databases the fact that it's all in the blockchain just means you can like go if i see you spend it i'm taking it away in my in our game but if you don't touch it over there that's enough to say like it doesn't get touched on our side too and stuff like that is just it's kind of funky cuz I think we are going to have to have privacy-based ones too, right? Where not everything is on the blockchain, right? So, you're going to have like this mix of Mm -hmm. when people start doing those vampire attacks, then people start being like overly paranoid. And you have like this mix of like, well, we'll expose some things for trust reasons or whatever. But then other stuff we're going to kind of keep hidden for competitive moat reasons, right? Like, I think people are going to start getting kind of defensive, like the way that everyone had APIs, right? For, for the Web2 stuff, APIs everywhere, as far as the eye could see. And then all of a sudden they were just locked down to death and no APIs for anything. No, sorry, you got to be part of our ecosystem now to use anything. And so, I mean, I hope we don't go that direction, but I think there's going to be some inevitability of some of that. And we do have like stuff with like some of the ZK rollups and other stuff that do like start to allow some levels of privacy. But I think more technology will probably be built that direction as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's what my when I said I, I'm scared when I hear these things is my gut is telling me oh this is this sounds dangerous if I mm-hmm. invest a lot of time and then someone can just come and incentivize people to not play my game it just seems like you know smearing marketing a little bit which is kind of frowned upon so yeah I, d-
0: I think these 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 scenarios are not very likely to be honest yeah um, yeah and but in the end I think um, it will. In, it will force people to really focus on fun games because if you're, you know, if you built a game and you know people are just not playing it because it's not fun, then someone else could potentially swoop in and just say like okay, you don't get a lot of tokens, but if you just you know, take your NFT from that boring game and you just lock it up here, you know, I'll give you some and you can start playing And, and, and so I'll, I think we, we might see these types of things.
1: So last question on staking before we, we move on. Um, for a game to be a crypto game or a play and earn game, does it have to have staking? No. no. That was the easy answer for everyone. I mean, if, <laughs> you look at Axie,
0: if, if you look at Axie, for example, Axie doesn't have staking, but it's, it's playing early Did game, it original? Or I know it's been game.
2: around a while. Did it early in its history? Does anybody know?
0: I mean, the
3: AXS token Who? didn't Did exist right have, way? so probably I not. Th- I, I,
0: don't. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, uh, But it doesn't do now, so... I, I guess the short answer is is no. Um, there's there's no rules in the end about being a play to earn game or, or not or like even a crypto game or not, right? We were already discussed in the beginning. You can tangentially use, you know, allow your assets to be to be exported onto the blockchain, and that would make you a crypto game. And then if at that point, if people can sell what they like did within the game, it's also play an earn game, right? Because they just you know actually captured value or, or made some money by by you know playing your game.
1: Okay, that's quite helpful. Thank you. And uh, next next up is to, uh, I've been thinking, well, I've been reading these articles about how to evaluate um, games that are crypto, and they have some terms that I have no idea what they mean. And then I tried to pretend to know what they do, like floating caps mm. of something.
0: So, um, so quickly, so this is about the often the the governance token of a game, right? When you hear people saying that Axie Infinity is worth, like as a game is worth, you know, a couple of billion, what they essentially do is they take the value of one AXS token today, which is, I don't know, like 50 bucks or something, and they multiply it by the FDV, no, sorry, by the total token supply that will ever exist. So the total token supply that will ever exist is, 300 million and so if you multiply 300 million by 50 bucks per token you get to 15 billion value of Axie Infinity the game and so that is the fully diluted value because that means that the you take into account all of the tokens that are are, you know ever going to exist that said a difference there's a difference between circulating supply and like, uh, like total supply. So remember earlier where we discussed about staking where a certain amount of tokens are locked up for staking? And so tokens that haven't been given as staking rewards yet are actually not in supply yet. And so there's a difference in, in most cases, there's a difference between the currently circulating supply and the total supply. Um, and, and this is important to know. And this is also why you know comparing blockchains um, with their fully diluted value is so hard because you could have one game that has 1% of its total, to- total token supply in circulation and another game that has 99% of their token supply in circulation. And when you have such a huge su- supply, the chances are that the value is going to be slightly lower. Um, well, if you only have one, 1%, like the, the total valuation might be huge because there's high demand and just a, 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 like a smaller supply of these tokens. If that makes sense.
1: Does, Doesn't that assume that a game is going to limit how many tokens will ever exist? Yeah, it's not
0: guaranteed, yes. Well, I mean, it could be, like, most of the cases, like AXS, for example, there is a token contract that is the origination contract of the AXS token, and there it is literally defined um, that there's never going to be more than 300 million tokens. So you you can, you can be sure that there's never going to be more than 300 million tokens because that would mean that it would be another contract. And so that wouldn't, wouldn't work. So you're sure that the, the, um, that there's going to be a limit that said, you have some other tokens like SLP and SLP does not have a hard cap. So there could be an infinite number of SLP and that is what they call a floating cap. So if there's no defined uh, cap on the token supply, then you have a floating cap.
2: Just as a game and economy designer, I am uh, generally more in favor of defying fixed cap tokens than floating cap or unbounded supply tokens. I think those unbounded supply tokens, as we've seen in Axie and Other, create really challenging inflationary problems that are more likely to implode your economy. Like... Mm -hmm. Putting putting these sorts of things in create like natural trigger points at which your economy falls over, and so that's why mm. I'm like kind of scared of them. Or,
0: yeah.
2: it's just funny though coming from
3: free to play, where I'm sure you you never capped any of the things that you put in right, crazy wise. But each, in any each of your games exactly,
2: but each player's horde is. Constrained right. to their account. It's lack of tradability, exactly. right? That that yeah. basically makes that when, doable. When mm. when each when players are not able to trade with each other for real money, I can sell or reward each player with as many heroes um as I want. And like one hero one player's supply of heroes doesn't really affect another player's. Um But once there's trading between players, then like if I really want something to have an infinite supply, then I probably don't want people to trade it between each other. Right. hmm I think—I mean, generally, I think a lot of people are just copying Axie Infinity's system because it was the first one, and it's leading to a lot of predictable, unstable economies.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Nico, I cut you off. Um No, I was going to say, I think there's use cases for both. I think, um, because in the end floating supply can balance out through, you know, you can balance out the value through supply and demand, right? I think it gives more flexibility. Um, I don't know, I don't know how you know, for example, Axie how SLP would work if it was capped. Um, I don't know how the dynamics would well, turn I, out because yeah. you can. I mean, I don't. You I need to reduce the emission at some
2: point, and then yeah, I don't know. I, I would uh I I think there's kind of a sustainable version of Axie that doesn't have breeding and doesn't have unbounded SLP yeah. supply as well. Yeah. It's it's yeah. these inflationary things that I think lead to the collapse triggers. Yeah.
0: Essentially, my conclusion is that we are going to need a lot of very smart economists to be able to model out the repercussions of all of these, you know, variables, all these, these things that you can choose. Um, and so, I mean, I think, you know, I, I've always said there's three jobs within web three gaming that are going to be, you know, super important. One of them is a, you know, smart contract developer. So just like a programmer. The other one is community builder. And the third one is, is economist. Um, if you're one of those three, then um, you'll be, you'll be fine. No worries. You'll be taken care of and you'll be able to take care of others as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like I need to go back to university and do an economy course to stay up to date for the next 20 years in my career. So so much of it's just theory, though.
3: Like so much of it, like I think we'll have to really see it play out. Yeah, Because I think, you know, economists work off models and models make a lot of assumptions. And like, especially in the financial world where people are incentivized sometimes to be bad actors or to do weird things. And and then you mix in people's emotions and just everyone acts so irrationally that like, you could say this model is totally sound and just people do the dumbest thing and just mess it all up. And I think like, it's going to be more off of a mix of like here's some theoretical stuff that should work and then there's parts of it that do work parts of it that don't and we'll like evolve a few different models that like be like oh we'll use that model or we'll use that model and mm-hmm. I free to play is pretty much settled on a couple basic models right like where you go like you've got the dual currency model you've got like the soft and the premium and like everyone's kind of like somewhat settled on by looking at what worked and then trying some things and then keeping the things from that that worked and it's like iterative design mm-hmm. and as much as i would love Economists to come in and be like, oh, all you have to do is this. Uh, realistically, they can't do that in the real world either. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think economists have a great track record <laughs> mm, overall. Yeah. But it was really interesting to see uh, the Greek economist who uh, had worked for Valve temporarily mm-hmm. st- like speak out a bit about uh, his views and what he learned from inside Valve. Guy, right? Because Steam Marketplace... Yeah has been a great predecessor to this stuff. What's
2: up? uh, I think he looks very handsome in a scarf. If I'm thinking of the same person you are. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think what's interesting is um, because exactly as you, because nobody has any answers right now, like a 16 year old girl in Vietnam, who's never designed a game and has never taken a, economics course is just as likely to find the the answer as like a team at zynga with 20 phd level economists on it right nobody knows anything and if you're an amateur don't be scared by experts is my guide because you're just as likely to figure it out as they are
1: Mm -hmm. that's what i find quite exciting about blockchain games is that i think in free-to-play there's a lot of concepts and pillars are quite well known and you know to follow them and how to find the right answers at times there's never a perfect answer but there's a lot of leads to find the a great answer and mm-hmm. i think that's what's exciting in the blockchain world is that no one has really figured it out yet so it's um it's a bit more of a playground even if you're not an expert just try to mm-hmm. do something and see how it works 100% it's
0: a new frontier yeah mm-hmm. and with that i feel like we're we're going to have to do a follow episode, a Crypto 101 Part 2. Um, so with that, I want to thank Devin, uh, Ethan, and, and Maria. I think uh three of you were perfect for doing this. Um, listener, I hope you enjoyed this as well. I hope you learned something. Um, we didn't ramble too much and, and we kept it simple and I'm, I'm sure we, we made mistakes because we're all learning here. Um, so um, yeah, if you liked it, feel free to subscribe. Also, we're on YouTube now, so go check us out on YouTube and if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a thumbs up I've, I've never thought I would ever say that. Give us a, a thumbs up like and, subscribe, and to subscribe to my channel. Smash that like button. subscribe button. Yeah, like, yeah. smash that like button. Exactly. And to share be with fair, your it does help YouTube recommend our show to others. Exactly. So. It really helps out uh, and supports <laughs> what we're doing here. Um, so with that, you know, thank you all for being here. This was the Metacause by Navik, and yeah, we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers.